Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast Part 1 episodes are designed to be self-contained, fully satisfying experiences in themselves. But for hardcore philosophy fans, we record for another hour or so to release behind our various paywalls to folks that pitch in to help us make this show. What you're about to hear is a preview of one of these Part 2 episodes. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is episode 271, Part 2. We've been discussing books one and two of Johann Fichte's The Vocation of Man. We were at some dispute on whether in this book he seems to be retaining some notion of perception being tied to uh, mind-independent reality or not. And I think I found the source of this confusion, this, this disagreement, is that on page 62 of our old 1905 version, he does just like he did in book one, where about two-thirds of the way into it, he was like, let me just throw away everything I've done to now. I'm going to start fresh. But here he says, now, seriously, I retract my whole previous position that by means of the principle of causality, I arrive at the knowledge of external things. And I did indeed inwardly retract it as soon as it led us into serious error. So I think you're both right. I think Dylan and Seth, you're reading the stuff that's in the early part of here. And he's, when he's describing the phenomenology, which like, yeah, you know, when I perceive red, I perceive it as the red that is of a red thing that is out in the world. Causing that red sensation. Yeah, exactly. That where everything is given, there's no way that I could just have a perception that is just exists. It like must have been caused by something. That's just part of how causality works. And through tussling with the spirit, eventually he's going to admit that, nope, somehow I am the source of this notion of causality, this notion of externality, it all comes down to me. Yeah, I think of that as Lockean power theory, which is why some people think he can be saved from the veil of perception, because you can make the power, the cause, the external referent, if you like, and say, when we're conscious of red, we're not conscious of our own inner sensation. We are, in a sense, conscious of the cause, even if it's only by way of the but yeah, the way I think I read this and what we can arbitrate it as we go along is that our inclination is to attribute these things to external causes. We want to hook ourselves up with the external world, but that's going to fail ultimately. The spirit actually does a pretty good job of walking him through saying, okay, so you start off, you have a sensation of red, square red, three-dimensional square red, whatever, and you think there's a thing and it's causing this in you. But in reality, the only thing you actually have access to is your sensation of it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And he says, but you attribute the cause of the sensation to this thing. You don't actually have any direct sensational or perceptual experience of a substance that's causing red, shape, color, depth, whatever. You don't have this second order. You create that attribution in your head. And Fichte agrees, and then you get to this notion, this is where... We're jumping way, way ahead here, right? Do we want to... Are we? Oh, sorry. Bottom of page 61 is exactly what Seth is referring to. Exactly the couple paragraphs before where Mark quoted the retraction. He has the eye, says, My immediate consciousness is composed of two elements, the consciousness of my passivity, sensation, and of my activity in the creation of an object according to the law of causality. The latter consciousness connecting itself immediately with the former. My consciousness of the object is only a yet unrecognized consciousness of my creation of a presentation of an object. I am cognizant of this creation only because I myself am the creator. Where, where is this in the chapter? This is two, three paragraphs before 
the retraction that Mark quoted. We don't have to work through it, but I'm just saying we're way ahead of the other sections. Okay, what are we missing? Let's fill in the gaps. He's going to say that the sensations are, you know, you could call them qualia. They're brute forms of knowledge that they, they can't be conveyed by description and they can't be conveyed by inference. So we can't know what red is like by someone describing them to us. But ultimately, we do have to be able to dis- distinguish different forms of sensation, for instance, seeing from feeling or even more specifically, specific degrees within a form of sensation, like degrees of roughness or something, or we have to be able to distinguish a red thing from a blue thing. And that cannot come from the objects themselves. So if I say someone is taller than another person, the taller than is not its own object out there that bounces off us, that sends in stimuli into our minds. So that's something that has to be supplied by the mind and even even becomes a precondition of experience, right? We can't really say that we are experiencing red or blue unless we already possess the capacity for differentiation for the experience of difference and relation in the first place. I use the word relation here because I think this is, you know, kind of similar to Locke's relation argument in general. And in explaining difference, in a way, that ends up being kind of what he calls a self-feeling in my translation. So it's not a property of the object, but it is also, like the sensation, a modification of ourself. The judgment of taller is a modification of ourselves? Yeah, he wouldn't call that a judgment at this point, but the feeling of say, being able to distinguish degrees of roughness is a kind of precondition for experiencing roughness at all. So this is just kind of another version of the whole, you know, experience is theory laden and it's a variation. Like the way Kant approaches this, right, is with causality. That's what gets Kant fired up. Like causality, he accepts Hume's skeptical argument that causality doesn't come in directly through sensation that must be a mental thing a way we tend to organize our sensations and here Fichte is showing that we can do this with a whole host of different things starting with with relation but then moving on to space yeah maybe we can get clear on the difference between sensation that we start with and he ends up calling how we apprehend space and intuition because he wants to say of course we apprehend it as immediate it's not a, an inference or if it's an inference, it's a really fast one, and we wouldn't want to call it, you know, it's not one that we can deconstruct and slow down and say. We do the construction unconsciously. We don't have an experience until the construction is done. Lead us through, like, well, you know, when you're feeling around a red sphere or something, or I forget the example he uses, really what you have is a linear piece of experience of red dot here, red dot here, red dot here. And like, you can see how the stream of individual experiences through time you're constructing into positing that there is this external object that has this spherical shape out there in space. But yeah, because it's unconscious, that's where he introduces this term intuition. Are we interpreting the sphere or are we intuiting just the space that then the sphere gets put into and the sphere itself is still an inference? We can have a sensation of red, but as kind of an atomic point. We can have a sensation of a surface in my translation. So we can only intuit a surface. That's already something that has to be synthesized. So, you know, it's true. Our experience of the surface is kind of whole cloth. It's gestalt. This is not inferential. We're not aware of making inferences about and building up the surface by inference. But 
it all happens behind the scenes unconsciously. He doesn't talk about this, but the way in which you would become conscious of the fact that you're building up that based upon appearances when you encounter illusions that appears as a surface and then you go and you do some other kind of investigation. You tilt the piece of paper or whatever and find out, oh, it's not 3D. Yes, exactly. But also we do this phenomenological thing where we say we can only pay attention to pieces of experience at once, certain small pieces Mm -hmm. of experience. And we have to ask ourselves the question, it's a little bit complicated to say why we want to say we can only pay attention to one atomic dot of red, atomic point of red at a time. But what he's saying is, well, why if we are, our experience is temporal and if we have to move around in a way to take in the whole object, why do we treat it as a surface, as something spatially contemporaneous? We could just treat this as one dot that sequences out temporally. Move your eyes over the surface. Do we see that as a bunch of dots occurring over time? Or do we see it as one surface? And if we see it as one surface, how do we do that? Well, that capacity has to be built into the mind as an intuition a priori. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife. Thanks for listening.